The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Morning, everyone. Um, Going to say a few introductory words before we get into the scripture reading. Um, we're we're launching into a new series, and just to let you know, if I think most of you know this, but just in case you don't. Um, starting in the last week of May, I'm going to be embarking on a three-month sabbatical, uh, pretty much which will go through the summer in June, July, and August. And so um, that's going to obviously affect the, the teaching calendar. And so Pastor Peter will be uh, taking up the lion's share of that teaching during my absence. And then also we'll be having some visiting speakers coming in to fill in some of those gaps as well. So what does that mean for the sermon series? Well, as you can see, we're going to be going through this Jeremiah book, but for the next three weeks, I'll be preaching out of the book of Jeremiah. Now, I want to say something. Um, This doesn't mean that we're going to be doing an entire series on Jeremiah. Um, I haven't figured it all out yet, but... You know, Luke has 24 chapters, and it took us five years. And uh, Jeremiah has 52 chapters, okay? So, um, you know, your, your grandchildren will be able to uh, probably be blessed by it. So, I, you know, we'll, most likely we'll just do these three messages in Jeremiah. And then I think most likely the way it'll play out is just periodically I'll return to Jeremiah as a series that we'll look at and not even cover every single chapter, uh, chapter by chapter like that, okay? So for the next three weeks, anyway, we'll be looking at Jeremiah. And then uh, on the 28th, at the very end of the month, John Warden will be coming to speak here at ICC. He is a uh, church member over at Harvest, our sister church, and he oversees the process groups in our leadership training track in the School of Ministry that we have in our Thrive Network. And so he's going to be speaking, and then afterward, uh, in the fellowship hall, he's going to set up a little table, and he's published a number of books. And so he's going to be selling those books during the fellowship time. And his daughter, Joelle, also wrote a book, interestingly, and so they'll be selling her book as well. The purpose of this book sale is that John Warden wants to raise some funds for... The, he's, he's been flying out periodically to Flagstaff, to One Tribe Church, where we have uh, uh, our first church plant as a network. And so to do that process group with those pastors there, uh, he's going out there. And so he's selling these books to help raise some support to cover the expenses of those trips out there to Flagstaff. And so would uh, welcome you to buy those books as a way of supporting that cause as well. Okay, so that's to give you a bit of a, a roadmap of what, where we're headed here. Um, the bulletin says that we're going to cover all of Chapter 1, but if you've been at our church any while, you know that I tend to split <laughs> passages. And so I was looking at it and saying, this is way too much to cover. So I'm only going to cover four verses, okay? So we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And then next Sunday, I'll look at verses 5 to 19 and finish off the rest of chapter 1. So Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 reads, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, 
one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at not only the words of your prophet Jeremiah, but also the life that he lived, we pray that our eyes would be open to see what it is that you're asking of our lives, what you are doing in our generation, that we can live a life of meaning and purpose and to recognize where the world has lied to us and to recognize how your truth speaks into that lie, to give us a life of purpose and meaning and, and mission. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Jeremiah was called to serve as a prophet during one of the darkest chapters in Israel's history. Sin and idolatry were rampant. There was worship of all kinds of other pagan gods, so much so that the Israelites could hardly be recognized as God's people. In fact, one story shows how far they had fallen in that while they were cleaning out the storage room of the temple, they discover the Bible. <laughs> and they were like, whoa, what is this book? <laughs> they don't even know what the Bible is. And so Josiah has it read to him, and, you know, he rips his clothes and he starts repenting because it's actually the first time he's read the Bible. That shows you just how far as a nation the Israelites had fallen. And through Jeremiah, he repeatedly warns the king, who's not Josiah, but the king who comes after him, uh, Jehoiakim. And at that time, he says, uh, listen, the enemy is at the gates. This is God's punishment. This is God's judgment on us. Don't resist. Don't fight. Otherwise, you're just going to bring disaster on this land. Just surrender. And despite his repeated pleas, for them to surrender, the king refused. And so as a result of that rebellion, um, Babylonians come and in 586 burn the city to the ground, you know, burn the temple down and totally destroy the city. And Jeremiah would live to experience that in his lifetime. Um, it's interesting that most of the prophetic books in the Old Testament focus almost completely on the writings of the prophet, about what they said. But Jeremiah is unique in that it not only tells us what Jeremiah spoke, but it also gives us a lot of the events that unfold in his life, how the people responded to his message and the consequences that Jeremiah had to suffer because of his role as prophet to this rebellious people. In other words, it's almost as much a biography of a man as it is a prophetic book that tells us these oracles. And so as we're going to go through this book of Jeremiah, we're going to discover as much from Jeremiah's life 
as we are from his prophecies that he gave. And the focus for this morning is on the calling of Jeremiah and what we can learn from that. I want to start by saying this, that every person comes from somewhere, right? In other words, all of us have a backstory. And we can't really fully know a person until we know what that story is. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this, Apart from the before, the now has little meaning. The now is only a thin slice of who I am. Isolated from the rich deposits of before, it cannot be understood. Um, In other words, this present moment is such a thin sliver of the whole story of you and what's made you to be who you are. And so unless I know that story, I can't really know you fully. That's why therapists and counselors focus so much on our history when we go to them for professional counseling, often delving even way back into our early childhood to try to understand the struggles that we're having in the present as adults. That's why biographers dig deep into their subject's background to find out everything they can about that person's history that they're writing about in order to try to explain why this person was able to live such an extraordinary life, became famous. Um, Over the years, I've thought a lot about my own backstory uh, and how it's affected the person that I've become. I was born in Korea uh, to a father. I I put a little red arrow. I'm going to show you a number of pictures. And you might not figure out who I am in the picture, so I put a little red arrow so you know who I am, okay? Um, I was born to a father who was a doctor and a mother who was a nurse. And they met because they ended up working at the same hospital. And by the time that they were married, both of them were Christians. And so I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, But while I was a toddler, my father was drafted into the Korean army and was sent to fight in the Vietnam War. And he was gone for so long that when he finally came back from that deployment, I didn't recognize him. Um, I called him sir, you know, and I freaked out because I thought a stranger was coming into our house. Uh, When I was four, we moved to America from Korea. And my brother and I embraced our new life in this foreign country with a joyful sense of adventure and mischief. I mean, we loved America, you know. And it was like such an awesome new home for us. It was like a playground, discovering all this diversity and black, white, Hispanic, Indian. Uh, This is almost like a United Colors of Benetton picture because, like, there's a Hispanic person, a white person, a black person, a bunch of Asians, all in this one picture, you know? But, you know, this was the kind of neighborhood we grew up in, you know, kind of low-income neighborhood. And it didn't matter to us what ethnicity these friends were. We made friends with everyone on the street. And we loved the diversity that we found in the U.S. compared to Korea. But, but also the truth is, as much as we felt embraced by America, we, we also honestly experienced moments of racism uh, when it was made clear that we are different 
than Americans. And in the eyes of some people, anyway, that we don't belong here. Okay? I'm not here to give you my whole biography here, okay? Um, but all of this has left me to wonder, you know? I mean, did the, f- did the fact that my dad was absent during my early childhood have any impact on the person that I became? I've often wondered, like, how I would have turned out as an adult if our family never immigrated to America and we just stayed in Korea. You know, how different my personality might have looked. Um, And I'm sure many of you have asked the same kind of question about your own backstory. How did all of this impact my history, my story impact the person that I've become? And the truth is we can ask that same question of Jeremiah. How did he become the man that he became? Because he was an extraordinary man. What enabled him to stand out as a righteous man in the midst of an entire generation of his people that had compromised their lives in sin and rebellion against God? How was he able to resist the unimaginable peer pressure to conform and be like everybody else? in that season of Israel's history. Well, the book of Jeremiah begins with Jeremiah's backstory in the very first verse. But the details are frustratingly sparse. We're told that his father's name was Hilkiah and that his father was a priest. So basically, Jeremiah grew up as a PK, as a priest's kid. I don't know if they had used that term back then. But you kind of wonder, is that what gave him such a strong sense of a moral compass about what was right or wrong? We're also told that he grew up in Anathoth, which is kind of a a rural area outside of Jerusalem, in the small town. And what impact did being a country boy have versus growing up in the city? And so you have all of these questions of what makes a man? You know, how do we explain Jeremiah? the man that he became. At the end of the day, the truth is these are unanswerable questions. I do believe that there is a proper place for exploring our past, thinking about the parenting under which we were raised and certain maybe very dark and difficult abuse moments when we felt abused by others. And there is a proper place for that exploration. There is. But I want to say that more important than our earthly heritage is our spiritual heritage. Jeremiah 1, 4-5 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. In other words, yes, Jeremiah grew up as the son of a priest in a small town called Anathoth, but more Important than that, I think, is in these opening words of this book is saying is that he was known by God and he was set apart by him for a special calling to be a prophet to the nations. Eugene Peterson writes this, Our lives are not puzzles to be figured out. Rather, we come to God who knows us and reveals to us the truth of our lives. My identity does not begin when I begin to understand myself. There is something previous to what I think about myself, and it is what God thinks of me. 
That means that everything I think and feel is by nature a response. And the one to whom I respond is God. I never speak the first word. I never make the first move. Jeremiah's life didn't start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's salvation didn't start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah's truth didn't start with Jeremiah. He entered the world in which the essential parts of his existence were already ancient history. So do we. Sometimes when we are in close and involved conversation with three or four other people, another person joins the group and abruptly begins saying things, arguing positions, and asking questions in complete ignorance of what has been said for the past two hours, oblivious to the delicate conversational balances that have been achieved. When this happens, I always want to say, just shut up for a while, won't you? Just sit and listen until you get caught up on what's going on here. Get in tune with what is taking place. Then we will welcome you into our conversation. We've all experienced that before, haven't we? When we're deep in conversation with a group of people, and then someone joins, and they start blabbing, 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 and you realize they're totally ruining the dynamic of the conversation because they don't understand the ground that was already covered and the things that were already stated. And that's the point that Peterson is making about our lives, is our story is couched in a much bigger story that God is telling. And we cannot understand our story until we first hear God's story that he is telling. And we don't have the liberty to create whatever meaning we want of our lives and say, well, that's my truth. This is a very popular phrase these days, isn't it? You know, go seek your truth and live for your truth. Instead, we have to listen to the story that God is telling through his written word and then understand what my part is to play in it. And one of the central messages to Jeremiah was that even before you were born, God knew you. And he had a purpose for your life. This is the starting point of understanding who we are in this universe. We are not accidents. We are not products of chance in a meaningless and random universe. We were known by God before we were even formed in our mother's womb. And he has called us into a life of calling to accomplish his purposes in our lifetime. Jeremiah is not the only one that testified to this truth in his life. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 5, says that the prophet Isaiah speaking, says, and now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. Isaiah says, I was formed in my mother's womb for this very purpose, to call Israel back to God. Paul says the same thing in Galatians chapter 1, verse 14 to 16. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Do you hear Paul's testimony? He said, in my earlier days, I had my own agenda. I assumed I understood my purpose in life, and that was to be a defender of the traditions of my father and be a good and upright religious leader among the Jews. And then God took a hold of me, and he saved me. And he opened my eyes to see that that wasn't my purpose in life. I was called 
to declare the name of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. In my mother's womb, before I was born. Let me ask you this. Practically, what does this mean? What are we saying here? Is this saying that we're all living meaningless lives if we're just pursuing our careers and raising our families? Does it mean that we haven't found our true calling in life until we pack up our bags and go to Africa as missionaries? I don't think so. I think the answer is found in the very words of Jeremiah's calling. In verses 4 to 5, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God tells Jeremiah, first of all, I have consecrated you. That word consecrated is where we get the same word holy in the Bible. It means to be set apart, to be made holy. In other words, as God's people, all of us, without exception, are set apart for some special purpose that God has in mind for our lives. But then God also says that he has appointed him as a prophet to the nations. That word appointed in the original language is the word gave in Hebrew, natan. That word gave, in other words, what God is saying is, Jeremiah, I am giving you as a prophet to the nations. What I'm saying is this. At the core of God's purpose for us is to give us in service to others for his glory. That is what ties all of us together in a common calling as people of God, is that the very purpose of your existence on this earth is that God made you so that he could give you to others as his gift. This may mean becoming missionaries to the ends of the earth, but it could also mean serving him right where you are in suburban America with the people who are right in front of you, like your family, your coworkers, and your neighbors. In other words, the specific circumstances of this giving are different for each of us. But what unites us all is that God calls us to make us to be gifts that he wants to give to other people. In this way, we become a tangible expression of God's generosity and his heart of love toward others in this world. This is what it means to understand our story by first understanding God's story. The whole purpose of my existence is that God wanted to give me away as a blessing to other people, that they could benefit from the work that he has done in my life. And I'm telling you, the world tells a very different story about what the purpose of life is, doesn't it? The world tells us that in order for us to find true fulfillment and meaning in life, we need to quit worrying about what other people want from us, to quit being a doormat for others, and focus on our own happiness our own dreams. It's almost as the argument is that you don't really begin to live life to the fullest until you realize that truth about yourself. And when you buy into that lie of living selfishly, what you will ultimately discover is not a life of happiness and fulfillment, but of brokenness and pain. It's just, unfortunately for too many, too late when you discover that truth. Uh, Academy Award-winning actress Shirley MacLaine, I don't know if 
some of you are too young to probably even know who she is, <laughs> um, is known for embracing this kind of view of life. Basically, her philosophy, McLean's philosophy of life has always been do only what you want to do. Don't worry about others. Just worry about yourself. Live free for your own happiness. And don't care about anyone else. And the truth is, she's been celebrated for this carefree spirit and this so-called courage to live out this philosophy on life without apology or regrets. But what most of us couldn't see is the carnage and destruction that she caused as a result of the selfish attitude toward life. Numerous co-stars in their own memoirs have talked about of all the other actors, <laughs> McLean was the most difficult to work with because of her attitude on set. But perhaps no one suffered more than McLean's own daughter, Sachi, who in her autobiography entitled Lucky Me meant ironically, <laughs> revealed what a traumatic childhood she experienced as a result of her mom's philosophy on life. McLean didn't want to be shackled by the demands of motherhood. So she didn't even allow her own daughter to live with her, but only allowed her to visit her periodically, just to get small doses of mothering and then send her away. And because of that, she lived a pretty brutal life without very much supervision. Though wealthy, McLean gave her daughter almost no money, not even for college. So she had to work as a waitress and scrap any little money that she could because McLean didn't feel like giving her money, any of her own hard-earned money. Later, when Sachi became an actress herself, McLean offered her no support, although she was so famous in Hollywood, and in fact even tried to sabotage her daughter's career. And in that memoir, Lucky Me, Sachi Parker writes, I have to forget she's my mom because we can never connect on those terms. She never said she was going to take care of me and be there for me when I needed her. That's something I came up with on my own. We cannot blame people for being true to themselves. She doesn't need me, not at all. And she isn't going to pretend for propriety's sake that she does. She's off fulfilling her destiny. I don't know if any of us would look at Shirley MacLaine's life and be convinced that somehow she has discovered the secret to life. Would you? Daniel Yankelevich writes this. Americans speak the tongue of need language. They are forever preoccupied with their inner psychological needs. They operate on the premise that emotional cravings are sacred objects and is a crime against nature to harbor an unfulfilled emotional need. They embrace a theory of freedom that seems to presuppose that you are free only when you do not commit yourself irrevocably. By concentrating day and night on your feelings, potentials, needs, wants, and desires, and by learning to assert them more freely, you do not become a freer, more spontaneous, more creative self. You become a narrower, more self-centered, more isolated one. You do not grow. You shrink. Do you realize that? The bill of goods that were sold in the world to say 
Only live for yourself and your happiness. Don't worry about other people. And the wake of damage that life philosophy can do in your own life. You know, when our kids were younger, uh, Betty definitely did the lion's share of work as a parent. Uh, I feel in a lot of ways like I was a deadbeat parent around that time, you know. She, you know, she's endlessly doing baths, feeding the kids, changing one diaper after another, and then even homeschooling them. Uh, But as they started hitting their teenage years, uh, there was this sort of passing of the baton as I realized I suddenly became more involved in dealing with a lot of their issues as teenagers. Um, And the problem is that dealing with teenager issues often involves hours-long conversations on a couch. It's not like just changing a diaper. I'm not trying to belittle what Betty did because God knows she changed infinite number of diapers, (laughs) raising five kids. But here's the thing is... um, the more these emotionally draining conversations began to pile up, the more I began to acknowledge a resentment that was building up in my heart. Uh, Seeing these long parenting conversations as unwanted intrusions into my schedule, you know? I didn't know my kids were going to be here. (laughs) I didn't know youth were going to sit in, so I apologize (laughs) to my kids for having to hear all this in the audience of the church, you know? Um, It's sometimes, it was this really frustrated feeling like, I got to lose my evening because of your bad attitude because you got a detention at school, you know? And you don't know why you got the detention. Um, But then I thought like, what exactly were these parenting moments intruding upon and if I was really honest it was intruding upon my Netflix time you know because so that I could crush more candies I don't know I mean it's just silly things um I had to acknowledge how upside down my values were as a parent when this resentment grew in my heart because these difficult conversations on the couch weren't to be viewed as unwanted intrusions to my otherwise happy life. They were expressing the very heart of God's calling on my life as a father. As a father, in other words, God was giving me in service to my children to help them during these tumultuous, difficult teenage years to become the kind of adults that God wants them to be so that they could honor him in their adulthood. But the truth is, I would rather spend that evening mindlessly watching TV or fiddling around on my iPad. Vitislav Gerdovsky says this. The terrible threat is that we might die earlier than we really do die before death has become a natural necessity. The real horror lies in just such a premature death a death after which we go on living for many years. This is the, the real-life zombie movie of our lives, right? The Walking Dead. Eugene Peterson says this, The puzzle is why so many people live so badly, 
Not so wickedly, but so inanely. Not so cruelly, but so stupidly. Some people, as they grow up, become less. As children, they have glorious ideas of who they are and of what life has for them. Thirty years later, we find that they have settled for something grubby and inane. Not one of us at this moment is complete. In another hour, another day, we will have changed. We are in a process of becoming either less or more. And I think all of us can acknowledge and confess the gravity of that life of less, of living for superficial things that don't really matter. I want to ask you honestly, what is a good day for you? Being complimented on your hair or your outfit at work? Getting more than the usual likes on your Instagram post? Passing that crazy hard level on that favorite game you have on your iPhone? Or maybe it's just being totally left alone with no one to bother you all day with their problems. That's a good day for you. In other words, it's scary how easily we can settle for a life of mediocrity and selfishness. I wonder how many of us feel like we're just drifting through life in a medicated daze, moving from one trivial distraction to the next, and never really being present in that moment to seeing what God wants to do through us. Or maybe the truth is you have a baseline level of constant irritation and even anger, if you're honest, because of the expectations and demands placed on you by others. And you're thinking in your head, I feel like I'm a magnet for broken people, you know? And rather than seeing all of these broken situations in your life and all of these broken people in your life as unwanted intrusions, what I want to challenge you as we look at Jeremiah's calling is this, that God is inviting you to see all that as a higher calling on your life. Because when I say we have to first understand God's story before we can understand our story, part of that story is that we are broken, we are born into a broken world filled with pain and hurting people. And God formed you in your mother's womb to love those people and serve them and give yourself to them. And I want to say this as I wrap up and close here. I think the truth is all of this can feel like an incredibly heavy burden. And saying, you know, I'm trying, Pastor, to live that life. I am trying really hard to love broken people in my life. But I feel like I don't have the strength to live that life. I don't have the resources, the reserves. And I want to say this. Before we can step into this calling, we have to first receive what God wants to give to us. Just as God wants to give you to others, he has first given his son to you. John chapter 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If you don't know that gift, you cannot be that gift to other people. John 10, 10, Jesus himself said these words, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus never promised an easy, carefree life. 
But he did say it would never be boring. <laughs> you know, in history, Jeremiah, the rabbis in Jewish tradition have called him the weeping prophet. And just wait until we unpack the stuff he goes through. It's insane what this man is going to go through in his lifetime. 40 years of ministry, being beaten and put in stocks and thrown into a mud pit to die, being dragged to Egypt against his will, being imprisoned. I mean, this guy is going to get beaten up following this calling. But I think even Jeremiah would say, I have had an abundant life of purpose and meaning. And I want to challenge you that that's the crossroads every one of us faces a superficial, inane life of self-indulgence, just kind of coasting on cruise control in a half daze, just not wanting to be bothered with other people's problems. Or we can realize that we have been called by God to be given to the world as his gift to others and to say, I'm all in. I want to know that life of purpose, that life of mission, that life of being used by God to be a blessing to others. Let's pray. I think um, these are two very apt descriptions of the life that most of us are facing today. One is this dull, inane life of superficiality, of endless perusing of our social media profile and seeing how many likes we get on our posts and uh, mindlessly wasting hours on television shows and little silly games on our phone. And I, I'm not saying that all of that is wrong. I'm not saying you can't watch TV or have any entertainment, but my God, how easily <laughs> that goes from a fun little distraction for the moment to burn off a little steam, to days and countless hours of just drowning yourself in that junk to the point where you kind of blink and you kind of say, what happened to my marriage? What happened to my kids? I feel like I fell asleep at the wheel in this numbness of my heart. And I, I think also there's another group of you in this room that really are struggling with the bitterness and the resentment of feeling the weight of other people's problems on your shoulders. And in a way you said, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> and the truth is you didn't. God made that choice for you while you were in your mother's womb. <laughs> you didn't have a say in the matter. But it's not because God is sadistic. Um, it's because you were made for this. You were made to be given, not to get and to take. And if you buy into that lie of the world that thinks that happiness, true happiness, is only going to be found when you break those shackles of what other people are asking of you, and like Shirley MacLaine, just doing whatever you want to do, whoever cares about others, I'm going to tell you that that life does not lead ultimately to wholeness and joy and freedom. You're just going to leave in your wake broken people that you've hurt. And I'm telling you, this is a supernatural life, a supernatural calling. None of us have the resources within ourselves to be the person that God has called us to be. I, I didn't go too deep into it because that's really the message of next week's sermon. 
when we look at how Jeremiah responds to his calling with hesitation and fear. But we have to understand that we need to first receive from God so that we can give what he is asking us to give. But when we do both of those things, first receive and then give, I promise you what you will find at the end of that journey is a full and rich life of blessing. To end your days looking back and seeing the privilege of all the people that you were able to touch in God's name and all the people that God gifted you to to be able to bless them and serve them and love them. And as we think about that calling, as we think about that responsibility, let's just come before the Lord right now and say, in an honest moment to say, I don't know, Lord, if I really feel that abundant life. I don't know if I have those resources in me. And so I just want to spend some time here at your feet, receiving from you first, so that out of receiving first from you, you give to me what you are calling me and asking me to give to others. Would you just stand, uh, sit, and, and enjoy his presence in this moment and pray for a few minutes as our worship team comes to uh, close us in a time of response. Let's pray before the Lord.